You may be seated. Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Robert. I'm the lead pastor here. I want to welcome all of you. Uh, he is risen. Yes, this is the third Sunday where we're celebrating Easter, and we're doing that because there are multiple appearances in the book of John, uh, post-resurrection appearances by Jesus, and so we're taking each one of those, and we're taking a look at, at those, and the, the last one in uh, John 21, actually, we're going to spend two weeks on, so we're going to take the first half, and then we'll take the second half. And so if you find the Bible's there on the, on the floor in the chairs or on your phone, go ahead and be pulling up John 21 because you're going to need that uh, as we go forward. So we say He's risen. Uh, Dustin's just professed that He's risen by actually like reenacting it. Um, how do we know He's risen? Uh, we know He's risen because eyewitnesses saw the risen Jesus. We, we've been saying this over and over as we look at these different post-resurrection appearances. The first was Mary Magdalene, and she said, I have seen the Lord. Then it was the ten disciples. They said, we have seen the Lord. Then it was Thomas and the other disciples, and he says, my Lord and my God, when he sees the Lord. This is happening over the course of 40 days where Jesus is appearing at different times to show them that He is, in fact, a three-dimensional, physical, resurrected Jesus. We know this from some of the writing in the book of Acts. Acts 1 verse 3 says, He presented Himself alive to them after His suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Letting us know for a 40-day period, Jesus did a lot of show and tell. Lots of, of show to let them know, hey, I'm, I'm really a three-dimensional physical resurrected Jesus, where He showed them the scars in His hands and in His side, where He literally stood among them, uh, John, John describes. Um, and, and over and over and over, we see that the disciples testified to a real resurrected Jesus. Now, sometime in the course of these 40 days, uh, Peter decides he wants to go fishing. And that seems a little like a boring thing to put in the Gospel of John. Like, why, why put that in there? Like, Peter decided to go fishing, you know, like, like big deal. Um, and I, I think in part, Peter decides to go fishing because Peter has a hard time waiting. He has a hard time waiting. Uh, and uh, Fishing actually involves waiting. I, I remember going on many, many fishing trips with my dad, and I love fishing as long as you're catching fish. And so we would sometimes get into them, and, and, and then we'd be catching like one after another after another after another. This is most, one of the most exciting things that I've ever experienced, but that was the exception and not the rule. The rule was waiting, 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 waiting for a, a fish uh, to bite. And uh, my dad would say, well, we're just wetting a line. Maybe we're not fishing. We're just getting the line wet, right? And he was fine to just stay and wait and just enjoy the nature and enjoy having a peaceful moment. I understand that now that, uh, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a, a dad and uh, peaceful moments are hard to come by, right? Um, but for me, I was just like, I can't wait any longer. And I think Peter was, was like that in just his temperament. He had a hard time waiting and even though he had been told to wait, Jesus had told him and the other disciples, I want you 
to wait. I know that from also Acts chapter 1. It says, while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So Jesus had instructed them to wait, to wait. Wait for the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is going to come in a unique way. He's going to indwell you, and then you'll be ready to get on with the mission that I've given you. But instead, he decides to go fishing. Uh, He hasn't fished in a long time, actually three years. And when we say fishing, we don't mean recreational fishing. He fished for a living. It was his livelihood. And so this, this fishing expedition was about more than just, um, I want to have a nice peaceful moment. This was, we've got to create some income. We've got to do something with our time. And so this would have taken, caused, been quite a bit of effort for them to get all the equipment together. When Peter was called by Jesus to follow him, he left all of his equipment on the beach. It says that he, he left his net and he followed Jesus. So he had to somehow get the equipment that he needed, the boat that he needed, and then he needed some help. He couldn't do this kind of fishing by himself. He had to have some other helpers. And so now he also leads the other disciples to get involved in this fishing expedition. And uh, uh, several of them say, yeah, I'll I'll go. And partly Peter's a leader. And he's a leader, whether it be some sort of spiritual endeavor or just a fishing expedition. He says, let's go do something. And the guys are like, yeah, let's, let's go fishing. So now, not only is Peter not waiting, but now the other disciples are not waiting. And now they're involved in this time of fishing. Now, uh, these guys are not, again, they're not rookies at this. They know what they're doing. They've done this as a business. They've done this for a living. They know how to do this, where to go to find the fish, and they catch absolutely nothing. And they work at it all night. They try everything, I'm sure. They go to every hot spot that they know of in the sea. Oh, yeah, remember that one time? We caught so many fish in that spot. Let's go try that spot. Nothing. Let's try that spot. Well, I've never tried that spot. Let's try that spot. Nothing, 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 nothing. Not even one fish. And so they have worked all night trying to catch at least even something for breakfast, and they don't have anything. At this point... They had to have been tired, discouraged, and hungry. It doesn't say that they're hungry in the text. I'm pretty sure they're hungry. They've been working hard all night. There's no doubt. These guys feel weak and tired and hungry. And then John writes in chapter 21, verse 4, just as day was breaking. Uh, this part of the, of the text in, in 21 is highly symbol-laden. There's not a lot of, of teaching that Jesus does and that John represents in this text, but there's lots of things being taught. <laughs> and they're being taught through this experience. They're being taught through some of these symbols. And one of John's favorite motifs is from darkness to light. And so here they are in the darkness, 
of their striving, of their trying, of their attempt to eke out some kind of an existence here, and they've come up with nothing. And as uh, the, the, the sun begins to peek out, they see Jesus. Now, they don't know it's Jesus. They can't see him. They're about 100 yards from the shore, and they can't quite tell who it is. And it says in verse 4, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And so they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. So Jesus shows up. This is a little different than the previous uh, post-resurrection appearances that John speaks of. The previous ones were in a locked room, and this one's out on the beach. Uh, he's reenacting something that the disciples have experienced with him before. If you've done any reading of, of the other Gospels, you know that this was very similar, this experience that they're having with him. And it was in the early days when they first had first met Jesus, and, and Jesus was just getting to know them, they getting to know Jesus, and this was as he was kind of preparing them to be these all-in disciples of his. And so one of the places you can find that experience is in Luke chapter 5. I'm just going to go ahead and read that so you can kind of see uh, the kinds of uh, parallels here. Luke 5, 4 says... When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were there were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and they followed him. Jesus hasn't lost his focus. From the early days of his interactions with them, he let them know, you're no longer going to fish for fish. From this point forward, you're going to fish for humans. The disciples have become distracted from that mission. Jesus has not become distracted from that mission. In chapter 20 of John, he's saying, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. In Matthew 28, he says, go make disciples of all nations. In Mark 16, he says, go preach the gospel to the whole, all of creation. He commissions them over and over and over. He says it in different ways, but he's letting them know from day one, I've been saying to you guys, and I'm continuing to say to you guys, I want you to go fish for human beings. And he's reminding them yet again, this is what he's called them now, John experiences this on the boat there, and he starts to connect the dots. And so he, he's the first one to realize what's going on. Verse 7 verse of uh, chapter 21 says, The disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John's little tagline for himself, therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work. 
he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, about a hundred yards off. This is a little temperament test of some of the early church leaders, right? John is reflecting on the moment. Some of you are like this, right? You're kind of out, outside the moment a little bit, considering like what's going on here, and then kind of connecting the dots back to the earlier experience, and ding, 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 he goes, oh, that's Jesus. And he lets Peter know. Peter is like, fish, 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 Jesus, 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 right? He just jumps out of the boat once he realizes it's Jesus. We see a similar kind of temperament at, at the tomb, right? John, the faster sprinter, gets to the tomb first, and, and then he stops, and, and, and you know, the, the stone's been rolled away. He's like, whoa, okay, let's consider the situation here. We got a tomb. We got probably a dead body in there. I don't know if I want to go in there. Maybe it's not right to go in there. And Peter's just like, boom, in the, t- in the tomb. Like, what's going on, right? And so you, you see this kind of difference, and they're both needed. Both of these, these kind of temperaments, both of these kind of leaders are needed. And, of course, the rest of the disciples are stuck in the boat trying to figure out how to get all the fish back, right? And so John's, like, musing, and, uh, and Peter's jumped in the water, and they're like, okay, we got a, uh, quite, a, quite a load to get in here. And, they, and they, they're able to get the fish back to the shore. Now, here's what happens at the shore. Verse 9, when they got on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard, aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come, have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, he took the bread, he gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So the beach scene, lots of details. Uh, We've been saying that details authenticate these gospel accounts uh, details like in, in chapter 20 that John outruns Peter, that there's grave clothes lying in the tomb. There's a face cloth that's folded uh, to the side. Uh, Jesus is standing among them in the, in the, in the second uh, appearance that he shows them the nail prints in his hands and the, the scar in his side. These all authenticate that the one who's writing was actually there, that Jesus truly has risen uh, from the dead. And now we have a detail of Jesus cooking breakfast on the beach. And that's surprising. That surprises me. I, the resurrected Lord, the one who has beat sin and death and hell, and he's making breakfast. Right? He's the, he draws attention, John draws attention to the fire that's been built. The menu that's on the fire, the verbal invitation, come, have breakfast. Jesus invites them to have breakfast. Now, uh, there's more going on here than just uh, Jesus wanted to make sure they had enough food for the morning. It's highly symbolic. And so in the ancient world, when you invited someone to eat with you, you were saying, I accept you. I accept you. You're forgiven. It's similar to what he says in chapter 20 when he says, peace be with you, shalom, right? And hospitality in particular communicates the grace of the gospel in a very powerful 
way. And here's, here's what I mean. It, 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 it's that the, the, the work has been done for you. Right? The grads are about to come to my house and, and uh, have a luncheon. And this has been a three-day process preparing for this. Okay? Menus have been made. Uh, multiple uh, trips to the grocery store. Uh, white tablecloths. Dishes, people at my house till late last night, making things, getting things ready, a whole lot of labor in order to say to the grads, we love you. We're grateful for you. And we're communicating this by giving you grace. It's not a potluck. You don't have to bring anything. We don't want you to bring anything. We want to give you grace. Right? And it communicates the grace of the gospel where work has been done on your behalf so that you can experience acceptance and rest. I don't know about you, I love free food. I love food that's been made by someone else and cleaned up after by someone else. Because I, I, can, I can just be, right? I can just rest in that. I can just enjoy that. And it communicates the gospel because Jesus is saying to the disciples, you rest in the work that I did for you. And the work that he's done for them is a whole lot more than just making some fish and bread. It's just the work he's done on the cross. And he's saying it is because of the work that he's done in dying on the cross to forgive their sins that they can rest. They are accepted. And they can rest in that. This is the meaning behind this very, very special uh, breakfast. Now, he also invites them to bring along some fish that they could add to the meal. And it's funny to me because he says, the fish that you caught. Really? I mean, did they really catch this? I mean, Jesus did all the heavy lifting. He's the one that caused this miraculous catch, but he did invite them to participate in that. And so now, not in order to earn their acceptance, but because they are accepted, they get to participate in providing some fish for that meal. What's being communicated is the, is the nature of, of the ministry that, that these guys are called to. That this is going to be a miraculous kind of ministry. But they are plan A and there is no plan B. And then what they're being called to is not to catch fish, but to catch humans. And he's saying to them, I've called you from the very beginning to, to be a, a fisher of humans. And, and so this is, this is my plan A for the mode by which I'm going to do this. You're going to be the proclaimer and demonstrator of the gospel. And through this, human beings are going to be called to faith in Christ. Now, the heavy lifting, it's going to be done by God. Right? The Holy Spirit of God, is He's working on both sides. When, whenever the gospel is being demonstrated or proclaimed, the Holy Spirit's working in and through the Christian, giving the Christian power, giving the Christian the words that the Christian needs to say. So He's doing a lot of the hard work on the side of the Christian. He's doing a lot of the hard work on the side of the one who's yet to believe. He's convincing. He's convicting, actually, is the Bible word. Convicting the, the one who's yet to believe that, that they're sinners, that, that they are separated from God because God's holy, and that there's judgment because of that, and they need a Savior. And the Holy Spirit is, is convicting 
them of that. If you don't believe me, you can read John 16. That's what Jesus says the Holy Spirit does in the life of the unbeliever. And so the Holy Spirit's doing all, all this hard work, yet Jesus is still using the proclamation of the demonstration of the gospel by the Christian. And he's saying to the disciples, this is the nature of, of, your, of your ministry. This is how ministry is going to work. Now, they do get it. This, there's this great opening story in Acts chapter 3 of Peter and John, actually, just the two of them. They're walking down the street. They're going to the temple for the afternoon prayer. And there's a lot of, of beggars that are lined up on the road, and they're asking for money. And so John and, and Peter see this one paralyzed man. He's on the side of the road, and he's asking for money. And this is what happens in that uh, story, verse 6 of Acts chapter 3. Peter says, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand, and he raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and he began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. This begins a, a, a whole couple of chapters where they're getting opportunities to proclaim the gospel, right? People are pretty excited. Wow, this guy who was once paralyzed, now he's dancing at the temple. Like, what happened? And they go, well, actually, it's in the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus did this through the power of his spirit. And they say, tell me more. And they're like, well, I'm glad you asked. So they, they start talking about the gospel. Well, the religious leaders there at the temple, they get upset. Uh, they arrest Peter and John. They bring them in for interrogation. They think, what a great time to tell the interrogators about Jesus. So they tell the interrogators about Jesus. Makes the interrogators even matter. They throw them into prison. Oh, more opportunities to share Jesus with people in prison. Now, while this is going on, the church is praying for them asking that the Lord would release them from prison, and miraculously so. You go back and look at it. Uh, they are released from prison. They go back to the church who's praying for them, and they tell them that they've been released, and they pray some more. And here's what they pray in Acts chapter 4, verse 29. It says, Now uh, they, they pray, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. They got it. They got it. They, they came to understand, no, our job is to demonstrate and proclaim the gospel. And notice what they're praying. They're praying, God, would you help us to proclaim it in boldness? And Luke actually says it two times in that paragraph, that, it, that they were speaking with boldness about the, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. They had been called to fish for humans. You and I are called to fish for humans. We are. And I, I said something similar last week because this is what was in the text, where those that have received the peace of Jesus consider themselves sent in the power of the Holy Spirit to go and proclaim that gospel peace to other people. You say, well, that's the same sermon that they said last week. You're saying the same sermon this week. You're right, because it's in the text twice. I'm, I, you know, John's going to put in there twice. I'm going to preach it twice. We are sent out. If you are a believer in Jesus, consider yourself sent. Consider yourself a fisher of humans, demonstrating and proclaiming a verbal witness of, of who Jesus is, of what He's done in your life. How did you find out about Jesus? 
Somebody proclaimed and demonstrated the gospel to you. And it may have been your dad at McDonald's when you were eight. Hey, that's awesome, right? Actually, that's plan A. Or it may have been a friend in high school or a friend in your college class or a coworker. But somehow, someone, if you're a believer in Christ, demonstrated, proclaimed the gospel. You wouldn't be a believer if that didn't happen. And so... You too, consider yourself sent with this invitation. Uh, partly the understanding is because we've had breakfast with Jesus. And we know there's an infant supply to go around. This, this great thing happened with our, our Easter lunch. We, we knew most of our small group, which meets on Sunday, and we always have lunch, and we knew a lot of them were going to be out of town. So we just said to our small group, if you're going to be around, we'd love for you to come and have Easter lunch with us. If you want to invite a friend or something, that'd be great. And so about a week before Easter lunch, there was like 12 people that said, we're coming, which is about half of our usual Sunday small group. So we're like, oh, okay, awesome. Well, then someone emailed and said, can I bring my friend? Yeah, sure. Then someone else, can I bring three friends? Yeah, sure. Can I? And then it just grew and grew and grew. And like within like three days before the Easter lunch, we had 30 on the guest list. And it was awesome. It was awesome. Uh, we, had, we had friends and roommates and some folks that knew Jesus and some folks who were investigating who Christ was. And, and, and it was a, it's a great picture of what, what I think Jesus is communicating to these disciples. He's like, you've, you have had breakfast with me, spiritually speaking. You, you've known the satisfaction in your soul of, of being given salvation. Now go extend the invite to any who will come. And this is what our evangelism should be like. I mean, sometimes it's like dutiful, you know, oh, I know, pastor's talking about evangelism, and I should do this, and so I'm going to begrudgingly. I mean, who's going to want to listen to that, right? Or we just don't say anything. We keep our mouths shut. I'm just going to show them with my life. Well, you know, it's, it's hard for people to come to know Jesus just looking at your life, right? They got to have some information, they got to understand the gospel. And so as our souls are deeply satisfied with our knowledge of Christ, we then get an opportunity to offer that invite to other people. I also want to say something to folks here that you are called to be in full-time ministry. These disciples were called to be in full-time ministry. That's what Jesus meant when he said, from now on, you will fish for humans. We're not going back to fishing for fish. Now, some people are called to fish for fish, and while they're fishing for fish, talk to humans about Jesus. But these guys were called full-time for ministry. That's some of you as well. Uh, That was me, right? Uh, When I was in college, uh, God worked in my life in a significant way by the time I was a junior uh, I, I really, I was interested in ministry. I spent a lot of time doing ministry stuff and leading Bible studies and going and doing camps and being on staff uh, in different conferences. And, and so when I was a junior, uh, I had a really close friend who was uh, hit and killed by a drunk driver. And uh, this was a friend from high school. And so I went back to my hometown and I went to the, to the uh, funeral and they asked me if I would share in the funeral. So I shared in the funeral, and I talked about the gospel, and I talked about her faith, which was a strong faith in Christ. 
And then after the funeral, then friends from my high school, they, they wanted to talk. And so I talked to them about the gospel and prayed for them and comforted them. And then when I walked out of that situation, that, that experience, it was just like the Lord just confirming, like, this is what I want you to do. This is your calling. And so I, I let some other people know that. And, and so I was like, okay, I'm going to be a, a pastor or some kind of church staff person or missionary. Didn't know exactly the details. But then I finished up my college, uh, my undergrad, and I had a cellular biology degree. And I was like, eh, maybe I'll be a science teacher for a while. And I'll be a science teacher and I'll, I'll get some money and then I'll go to seminary and I'll do the pastor thing later. And so I started trying to get a science teacher job. And I put out like 25 resumes and I got nothing back. Nothing. I didn't get a rejection letter. I didn't get an application. My dad was in school business as a superintendent. And he was like, did, did you put stamps on those letters? <laughs> like, like, just as a matter of protocol, schools send out applications and, and letters. And, and I'm like, no, Dad, I know. I put stamps on there. And, and so, no, no, I mean, I got nothing. And I'm just, you know, I'm sort of in limbo. It's the summer after my senior year, and I'm just waiting, waiting, waiting what to do. And, and I bump into this teenager that I had worked with as, uh, in, in a, a church ministry when I was a college student. And uh, she said, oh, you don't have a job? You, you should come be our youth pastor. And I was like, mm, no, no, I'm going to be a science teacher. And uh, I'm headed for this. I'm going to be a science teacher. So I go home, I pray. I'm like, God, if there's something to this, like, if, if I should be pursuing... I mean, I know ministry's like down the road, but, but maybe you, know, you want me to do this now. I mean, 8 o'clock the next morning, the phone's ringing. The dad of the teenager's calling me and saying, we want you to be our youth pastor. And so I'm like, oh, okay, I think I'm going to be a science teacher, but I'll, I'll come talk to the pastor. And I sit down with the pastor. He's like, we want you to be our youth pastor. And, and it was like the Lord just saying, this is what I want you to do. I have called you for ministry, right? And I've never looked back. You know, part, part of the fear of embracing ministry and that calling is, is the fear, can I pay the bills? God, how am I going to eat? <laughs> How's this going to work? And he, he's like, I'll take care of that, okay? You pursue the call. There's some of you, you've been called to full-time ministry or missions. I'm calling you out this morning. If you're running from it, don't run, don't run. Embrace it. I'm telling you, he's not going to let go. He's not going to cease to pursue you. If he's given you the gifts, he's given you the calling, then answer the call this morning. So some of you probably need to come talk to me later after the service. All right. Others of you, you, you've never had breakfast with Jesus. You've been striving and struggling to come up with your own spiritual breakfast, so to speak. You've been trying to sustain yourself. You've been maybe open to let Jesus maybe help you out with that, but you've never come to the breakfast table absolutely needy and dependent and knowing you need forgiveness and knowing you need to be put back right with God and you can do nothing except receive this free grace that Christ offers. So some of you, you've been, you've been coming here you know, all semester, maybe even all school year. You've been listening. You've been considering, listening, considering. Come to breakfast. Come to breakfast. Jesus is inviting you. He's, he's inviting you to a relationship of, of forgiveness and new life. And this can only come by your faith in what he's done for you on the cross. Come to breakfast. You know, we're reminded of this every time we come to this table. Are we not? 
I think that the disciples, when, when Jesus is taking that bread and he's offering it to them, I, I, I think it's, it's queuing up some other memories in their psyche. Uh, I think they're remembering one day when Jesus was with them and they had thousands of people that were out in, in this open uh, grass and they had no food and they'd been going all day and everyone was starving and Jesus says to his disciples, hey, why don't you guys feed them? And one of the disciples say, a year's wages wouldn't pay for food to feed these people. Like, how are we going to feed these people? And another disciple says, well, there's this little kid and he's got a uh, little bread, little fish. Maybe, maybe this could be multiplied somehow. I don't know. And Jesus is like, okay, I'll take that. So he takes, he takes the bread from the, the little kid and he, he raises it up and he, he blesses it. And then he breaks it. And he starts to give pieces to his disciples. And he says, yeah, go, go, feed them, feed them. And they're like, well, just this? Is this it? Like, yeah, yeah, just, just try it. And so they start walking through the crowd, and they're like, here. Oh, oh there's more. Okay. Here's some more. Right? Oh, here's some more. And, and they feed thousands of people, and they have 12 baskets left over. Right? That wasn't just for funsies. Right? <laughs> Jesus, Jesus was trying to teach them about what another meal, in fact, symbolizes. And that was another time that they were with him, actually the night before his death. And he did something very similar, where he, he took bread and he broke it after blessing it. And he gave it to them and he said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then in the same way, he took the cup. And after he blessed the cup, he gave it to them saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. I mean, all these meals are, are pointing to the same reality, the reality of Christ's death on the cross, and that through that death, he's offering eternal life, eternal sustenance, and he's offering it as a free gift. And so, if, again, if you haven't received that free gift, receive it today. Turn to Christ today in faith and tell him, I believe, I believe that you've died in my place, that you've risen from the dead and that I need what you did to forgive me and to bring me into relationship with you. For others of us, it's an opportunity to be reminded that we are at the table with Jesus. We've been accepted not by something we've done to work it out, but because he's done the work for us. And so this is the place from which we, we serve and we worship and we fish for humans. It, it's, it's propelled by this gracious uh, gift that Christ has given us through his death on the cross. So we're going to take communion here in a, in a minute, and it's an opportunity for us to remember. Some of you may have been a Christian for two minutes. We welcome you to the table. Some of you may be a Christian uh, for a month or a year or decades. We welcome you to the table. And it's an opportunity, again, to remind yourself that you've been received by Jesus, by grace. And, and that grace is costly and it's been paid for. He's done the hard work in order to offer his hospitality this morning. So let's pray. God, we, we give you thanks that you, the Lord, the giver of life, the, the one who has defeated sin and death and hell would then humbly extend an invitation to us of forgiveness, of new life. And so, God, we're, 
we remember that as we take the bread and the cup. We uh, are grateful for that. God, we're grateful for the community that it builds in this room. Um, Because of what you've done, we can be brothers and sisters in Christ. And so would you bless this bread and bless this cup? And uh, may this be a time where we have a sweet fellowship with you and with others. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.